Hey, hey, hey. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. I'm Pat Mulroy, the supervisor of the World of Learning Institute. And the World of Learning Institute provides virtual world language instruction. And we're expanding to things like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school to find a teacher. Today, um, we're here to talk to you about what we do every day that makes virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. Um, you can contact me, P. Mulroy, at worldlearninginstitute.com for more information. But I'm really excited today because we have with us Brandon Langer, and he's the program administrator uh, of instructional technology at MCIU, and that's in the professional development world, right, Brandon? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, they partnered with us at the World of Learning now with their MVP program. So I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing from you, Brandon. Why don't you just give us a little overview to get us started? Yep. No, great to see you, Pat. Great to see you, Lauren. Thanks for having me and uh, excited for the conversation. Uh, my name is Brandon Langer. As Pat said, I, I oversee instructional technology from more of a curriculum and online learning and professional development lens as opposed to traditional technology services. Um, although, you know, work with a lot of folks in that office as well within our organization to kind of play that liaison that can speak both, you know, education speak, edgy speak of curriculum and the tech speak of tech and try to play a nice bridge there. So I sit on a lot of our networks and councils across both those realms, if you will. I also do a lot with state consortium pricing, county consortium pricing on ed tech products. And then as Pat said, I oversee Montgomery virtual program from the administrator lens and which is something that has only exploded since I, I got here and continue to grow even, even pre COVID and, and now post COVID we're seeing just such growth in virtual learning, online learning, and there's a lot of capacity and opportunity there. So uh, as you can see, I do a lot with the IU as we all do. IU people tend to carry and wear a lot of hats. So happy to be here and, and, and share this time together because summer's awesome. And we can actually pause for a moment to have some conversations. I know. And these are like, these are the conversations I love to have because, you know, usually during the school year, we're just like, you know, we're just running to make sure the kids are in the right places. And, you know, we have everything in fine tune and Lauren is with us today as well. So thanks Lauren for joining us. And, um, most of the folks who follow our podcast get to hear Lauren pretty frequently. She's um, oftentimes my partner, but Lauren, do you just want to remind people who you are and what you do with us? Sure. Yeah. And then uh, get us started. Definitely. Um, yeah. My name's Lauren McMinn. I am a virtual learning specialist at the world of learning Institute, and I've been in this role for a year now. And I started out as a French instructor um, teaching with the world of learning. Um, that was my first foray into virtual instruction and it was actually the perfect time because it was right before the pandemic hit. So I was in this secret little world of virtual teaching that not many people knew about, you know, when I was telling people like what I did um, at the time, they were like, well, that's so cool that, you know, that's going on. You just don't realize that you can do that kind of thing. That's so great. And now, I mean, everybody sort of had some, in some way, some exposure to virtual learning or virtual teaching. So um, at least in my circles, you know, I have young kids. And so talking with you know, their teachers at school, my teacher friends, um, I feel like a lot of people um, have had some experience with it. So I feel like that, you know, the conversation is, is changing so much around virtual learning. And like you said, Brandon, it's just really exploding. And so that's great, because I think we can make a lot more connections with people. It doesn't seem like the secret little world anymore. It seems like something that um, everybody knows a little bit about. So um, 
Yeah, I'm just really excited because Brandon, I feel like when I came into this role as a virtual learning specialist, I heard your name through the grapevine, um, you know, oh, Brandon's great. You got to talk to Brandon, Brand, you know, and then I, you know, you've really inspired me, you know, as we're, we're you know, doing this whole shift to having a, a student information system and that tagline of reduce the frenzy has become like sort of my, my mantra. I think you showed me your you know your 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 schedule layout and reduce the frenzy and uh, you know that's like that's that's so amazing and that's part of what you do at MVP I'm guessing right yeah I mean MVP has started about I think it's probably seven or eight years old Montgomery Virtual Program is is what that stands for um, started about seven or eight years ago I this is now my wrapping up my third year. And when I came in, as I would mentioned, you know, this space has been growing so much. And when our program was, you know, conceived, we had a couple partners, a couple platforms that we used and primarily lived in their system. But as needs grow, as interests grow, you have to scale out and provide more opportunities that required more vendors. And that contributed to a problem of capacity at that time where we were having a hard time just getting past the nuts and bolts of some things. And we were just finding backlogs in certain parts of the process. So um, no, I'm very happy to help you with your student information system process because I think we the similar growing pains. And that's really all it was. Um, but the need to identify what those were and help districts meet their goals. That, that was the number one thing guiding us and continues to is we want students to have programming that's relevant and meaningful for them and access to that. And then we want it also to be seamless in work, right? So mm -hmm. that seamless in work part was the part in our internal side. We just had to fix a little bit. The external part just continues to receive extremely positive feedback from everybody. That's so great. Yeah, that, that positive feedback. I mean, it's great to get positive feedback. And, and I think when you think about that, as a goal, it really boils down to how we want our teachers and kids to feel in those virtual programs. And I think, you know, I always kind of jump back to that. And I think, um, I wonder about, or what are those things? What are those stories that we can tell that are positive feedback though, that really tell us that we know our teachers are, are doing okay, or we know mm -hmm. our kids are doing okay, because not every kid is meant for a virtual experience. And sometimes that's the only option. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and sometimes they didn't enter, they didn't enter the program as we've seen in a couple of cases where maybe a, a, a district lost a teacher mid-year. So um, for whatever reason, maybe the teacher retired or whatever, and, the, and we needed uh, particularly to partner with WOL and some of these cohort type models where we needed uh, uh, world language instruction and we needed it for a whole cohort of even 20 to 80 kids you know, it kind of varies depending on what the language is, but the stories that come out of those are, are, are it's an interesting little, you know, path you go on because you end up with a, a variety of people. Some people at this point are totally fine. They're like, yeah, we've done virtual learning. This will be fine. And others um, actually approach it with more trepidation maybe than they would have before because they had this pandemic experience in the, in mm. the spring of 20. And that was a, an example of, everyone needing to figure it out on the fly. And the thing about um, with our platforms, the, the great part about the experience, when you talk about the feedback we get, it's because it's sometimes their first experience with a well-intentioned, well-thought-out, prepared learning cycle that's made for this environment. Mm -hmm. And some people think, they hear asynchronous, like, well, that doesn't work. And the reality is, is there's a lot of different forms of asynchronous learning mm -hmm. that can be deployed and make someone and help support someone's 
um, success in learning. YouTube's a great example of that. The best learning ever on YouTube was some guy with his phone showing me how to fix my uh, <laughs> snowblower. And he's like, see, he's like tearing it apart. And he's like, see, this is the thing you got to get. And, and you got to shoot it with this, like, you know, get this kind of like a carbon choke cleaner. And then that's going to, and sure enough, it fixed my, my snowblower every year. Mm-hmm. I, I pull up that same guy on YouTube. <laughs> but the point is he just made it to help everybody. It's completely asynchronous. He made it in 2016 and I'm very grateful for him. And his, and, I used uh, one like that for my weed whacker. Exactly. Every time I have to redo the cord, I go back and this dad made it for his daughter. Yeah. I learned so how to sew a button, I, like sewing a button. I go to YouTube. I always forget every time. And I'm like, oh yeah, I go to that same lady. Absolutely. So we have these examples of asynchronous learning. It's pervasive in our, co- in our common life at this point to, to have those. Mm-hmm. So to label it and say that it's, it can't work, we have to work through that. So yeah. um, Pat, when you talk about the success stories, I love when we get to mid-year or, or midterm or the end of the year. And I, I inevitably get one or two parent emails that just are thanking MVP and saying, I really appreciate you finding a solution that works for my son or daughter um, and, and has continued them, their ability to search or, or learn about, particularly German seems to be a hot one right now that keeps coming back because mm-hmm. students that enter German, there's a certain culture around German classes yeah. so there's in French too, Lauren, but I, yeah. I just remember my friends that took German, like they were all in on German <laughs> and uh, I think you guys do a great job of maintaining that, uh, albeit in a virtual format, but again, the way you kind of interweave the synchronous with intention and not just having it sit on a zoom call to soak up seat time. Uh, speaks to what happens in virtual environments that are built from the ground up to be effective and, and meaningful this way. And look, we're, we always hit issues um, at any point in giving a school year, things happen, things whatever, but I'm definitely seeing less of those happening where it's getting in the way of learning long-term. It's usually just a hiccup somewhere. And my, and me and my team work to support those. And you and your team work to support those. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit, but just the way you guys communicate and, and that's going to be a, a huge part of continuing to grow this space is making sure we model good communication in, in this environment so that kids feel included, parents feel included in the learning process. Definitely. I have that this wonderful standout story from this past year where I was just so impressed with your team as well, like where there was one student who who started, he was in the school district and he was taking Japanese with us. And he just loved his instructor. I'm going to give a shout out to Famiko here. Um, and he ended up changing schools. And But he was just like, oh, man, I don't want to stop this Japanese class. But your team found a way at his new school to get him re-enrolled in his Japanese class with his instructor again. And um, the you know just seeing the emails like the the instructor Famiko was so excited that he was back and like you know it just was just like a lovely teamwork moment. And so I'm just so impressed with your team. Well, and again, it speaks to the ability to build relationships virtually. And that's something that kids actually do naturally now, right? Kids are used to living in virtual environments um, culturally in a way that maybe the adults are not. So mm-hmm. we can't limit that. We need to find a way to use utilize it to the greatest potential. And that's going to be hard because we didn't, we, most of us did not endure that at particularly that age. Many of us went in online. I, I've taken degree programs online, but it was not part of my learning sequence, you know, before high school graduations. No. Yeah, definitely. And also like with, with working with adults, how do you build relationships with adults in a virtual setting? A little bit different. Yeah. I think the thing I've learned this year about adult relationship building is adults have 
kids kind of go across various platforms. Adults kind of find their one where they feel at home. So for some people, that's Facebook. Some people, that's Zoom meetings. Some people, that's email. Some people, that's um, LinkedIn. And I found a need this year in particular to, to, as a professional developer and, and, a, and a, you know, working toward a thought leader in these some of these areas is the need to build presence in all of them because I find the interaction points are different with different, even maybe job classes. I find a lot of my administrators and school leaders are living on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but I find a lot of my teachers are living on Twitter and Facebook. And even tailoring messaging and, and facilitating mm-hmm. conversations in those different platforms, they're different. And, and I've learned a lot of that throughout the last couple of years in this role in particular. It's not just all social media. Um, it's, it's where the conversations are happening to kind of dictate what the conversation is and the form it might take. And I've just found that to be interesting myself. Um, you can have a perfectly lovely conversation via email if someone knows how to use the tool effectively. And that's just how they, um, choose to be, you know, communicate, but I don't know. It's, it's definitely interesting to watch some of this take form across various things. I also oversee our, um, MCIU learning network, which is a site where we, put a lot of free PD and, and, and opportunities for people to learn out there and do podcasts, right. And these type of conversations. So it's cool to watch it grow. Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about that, you talk about building presence and I think about the the theory around social presence that um, I'm going to forget like off the top of my head, but it's how we like theoretically built our courses because, you know, you have teacher presence, you have the content, you know, the knowledge base, Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and didactically, you know, you have to think about how those things happen, but, you know, like you talked about the kids really picking it up naturally because it's kind of the world they've always lived in. So they do that and they, like you said, whatever platforms they're on. And I think as we build these courses and as we, you know, we train our teachers, you work with your teachers and, and kind of build those those avenues, I think communication is the key. I mean, if we don't communicate, if we don't like, like we're recording this podcast right now, but we can see each other's faces. Like I can read your emotions. I can kind of tell if, you know, Oh, we need to interject here. We, you know, and so there's some of that, I think um, that needs to happen in order for those relationships, for the communication, you know, that, the email, the Twitter, whatever is all good. But if you don't trust me as a human being, you don't care what my thought leadership is. You don't care about listening to my podcast, you know, because like some of it is you have to like me on some level or like the way I think. And, and I think you, you've done some work around that. You've talked about the ways virtual learning doesn't and can't, you know, we can't expect, you know, everything digital to be, all-encompassing can you yeah tell well, folks and, about that yeah totally and, and I think we, we can also parallel and bridge that over to not just virtual learning but educational technology in general it is and mm. a lot, I spend a lot of time with with people helping them or guide conversations to make, help them realize that no one single platform is going to solve all your problems and actually there's a lot of problems that technology itself is not going to fix and uh, for, and there's some of our biggest issues, right? Issues around um, poor leadership and, and just poor management of schools and systems and that kind of a thing. If that's a deficit for you, buying something's not going to fix that. Humans are going to fix that. Um, and, and relationships are going to fix that. And in a, in, in a similar vein, 
the lack of human resources uh, piece that is facing schools and is likely not near the end, um, rather maybe just kicking off and, and something we're going to need to deal with over the next decade for sure. Uh, we're not going to fix a lack of human resources, teachers, paras, leaders, all that kind of stuff, just by buying something to plug in. So we can't confuse the fact that, as I mentioned before, we have we lost a, 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 um, a German teacher when we need to work with WOL to provide that learning opportunity that didn't fix my human resource problem. It just provided a learning option because we can now, we can capitalize on that and it's positive. But if there's something underlying as to why I lost that teacher, it's a culture issue, it's a leadership issue, it's a lack of support issue in the school, this doesn't fix that part. This only helps ensure that the student learning can continue to happen and be meaningful and, and we can fulfill learning paths. And perhaps that's the vehicle that we need to capitalize on more. But the, the broader point I keep making over and over with people is that if we're looking to things we buy to fix our biggest issues, it's probably we're probably not going to like where we land. I also spend quite a bit of time, Pat, talking about instructional design and execution. You know, I think mm. there's this whole world of like products out there. And, and trust me, I own many of them and utilize hundreds of, of both software and hardware products. I, I'm fascinated by technology and how it functions. I, I've yet to see one that completely replaces the sheer creativity and, and innovative power of a teacher and their ability to create instructional design experiences uh, that make learning come alive. I, I think, and many of them rely on those teachers to build them in the first place before they sell them. So that's, right. uh, that's the part about the instructional design and execution that I know technology is not quote, fixing on its own. In fact, it's incredibly human driven. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm reading one of Ken Robinson's books again right now. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah. He has a couple of great TED Talks, if you haven't heard him before. Um, one that pretty much launched him into the stratosphere. It's one of the biggest TED uh, Talks yeah. that's out there in the education realm. But he talks a lot about creativity and what drives that and why it's so important for learners and teachers and everything else. And, and I just keep grounding myself in that reality as a former music teacher. And I think as a former music teacher, I share a lot in common with you as world language folk in terms mm -hmm. of how incredibly human and uh, um, interpersonal our, our discipline is. It's innately that way. And we're not mm -hmm. just, you know, we, cultures baked into what we do every day. And as, as we look to bring that to education at large, we need to rely on those folks to help us and, and bring them into the fold to make learning meaningful in all areas, in math, in English, in science, in social studies, because those can be creative spaces and should be creative spaces as well. And we do such a great job of that as arts and, and you know, related arts as world language teachers. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Lauren, what do you, what do you want to say about that? I'm like Brandon for president right now. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't uh... That, that that could go horribly wrong. I, I, have a whole punk, I have a whole punk rock attitude side of me that I, I, I check when I, I come into work in the morning. We're all right with that, you know. We're, use <laughs> yeah. more punk rock, you know. Like we use more diversity of of yep. uh, thinking. Yeah, that's the creativity. I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah. So what well, is? I, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. Yeah. No, go ahead, Lauren. I just want to, you know, yeah, I just want to pick your brain more about that, about, you know, um, you know, obviously you're a champion for, for teachers, you know, and like, what, what does the dream scenario look for you right now? What kind of things are you coming up against that you're like, I want to break down those walls to make 
um, virtual learning even better? Yeah, I think there's a couple that are I, I have many thoughts in that question. I think where I where I kind of come up and even in my role as an administrator now, there's things that are more feasible short term than others. There are some that are going to take a long time to work with systems. Um, quite honestly, wait for the right leaders to come into the fold and help guide the conversation there, right? Um, in terms of virtual learning and where the capacity is there. There's a couple things on the horizon that I uh, personally think are not too far off that I'm, I'm looking for. Things like um, CTE and um, more specialized interest opportunities for students that maybe can't access that at the local level. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You even have programs like... Um, uh, um, sorry, I'm trying to change the thing of the right world, but even like graphic, graphic communications and some of these things that you might not have a teacher, like it just doesn't, it, there's, it's not out there. It's not, there's no one to hire, but we should not limit artistic creativity and, and development of maybe business sense, just because we don't have a localized teacher mm-hmm. tap into the capacity of what virtual learning can provide. Computers can provide the tools have gotten so good in the last five to seven years in terms of where we were when I started my career versus where we are now where before we're like just hoping the thing worked, right? We turned it on and that the internet connected um, and that there are still some issues there, but in in the broad scope of things, many of the products have gotten very good and many of the simulations have gotten very good. The the online web-based tools have gotten very good to give students those experiences. So I'd like to be capitalizing on those more across all districts, even within your brick and mortar. Um, something that one of my team members, Cassie Bruce, said earlier this year that has just rung with me all year is that all learning, all students are virtual learners now. Whether mm-hmm. you're sitting in a brick and mortar building or whether you're in a full-time virtual learning building, you are a virtual student. And that she's 100% right. Um, your single sign-on takes you into how many different portals in a brick and mortar setting to virtual learning environments, right? This is something that's pervasive across our, our landscape now within education. So knowing that, How do we navigate it where we can capitalize on multiple human resource um, skills, maybe if they're not local, but we can keep the students moving forward on on personalized learning paths uh, without having to make a big case of it. Mm -hmm. If your instructor is is offsite this period and then your other five are in the building, we can do that. It's just a matter of scheduling it. And we've proved that, us, Mm -hmm. those of us Mm -hmm. on this call, Mm -hmm. we can make those types of things happen. It takes some work. It takes some creative thought and and planning, Um, but it's possible. And I think showing that and and the efficacy of it is is, going to take some time. And and sometimes you just have to make, someone has to see it to believe it. And those that we've done that with, believe it now. And it's just going to kind of be one instance at a time to bring them into the fold and what's possible. Well, and Brandon, you talked about something that I think is really, really important, you know, leadership and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we've seen that Lauren and I have like spoken to so many people who are calling us and saying, do you have a spot, you know? Um, and I feel for administrators on some level because they're kind of saddled with, you know, having been a superintendent, having been a building level administrator as well, you know, you're saddled with some things legislatively that get in the way sometimes of unlinking those chains. And I think for me, um, how can we 
those of us who now are kind of living outside that system a little bit more, um, able to provide some of that support for leadership, right? Like, how do we help them say, yeah, those kids that you're talking about, some of the kids who we aren't reaching, the ones who are leaving our public schools that want something that's more CTE, career and technical education, right? And I talked to a superintendent from Johnstown School District, Amy Amy Arcurio, and she, they have a rotation for their eighth graders. They have their own self-contained CTE program. Mm -hmm. And we talked about taking that eight-week program, or, you know, they, they break it down. Every kid gets four weeks of each shop, whether, you know, like, so kind of as an exploratory. And I thought, you know, wouldn't that be beautiful to put that online and, you know, once a week, you have somebody jump in with kids, you know, anywhere. And I'm sure there's other self-contained CTE programs that are doing similar things. Like, how do we network that? How do we, how do we grasp that so kids feel like they don't just have to take Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, or Biology, Chemistry, Physical Science? Like, you know, and Lauren, you, you were talking about the courses or Olivia, I guess, you know, the courses kids want to take, like, how do we backload those things that districts need all those quote unquote standards so that, you know, kids can go online, like you said, and they can find ways to learn anything they want. The content's out there. YouTube's great. We all, we all use it, you know, I don't know. That's my big dream. You know, like, how do we do exactly what you're talking about? Put the creativity back in the hands of the the teachers. Yeah, I think one of the things that I learned, I mean, again, I taught music for 12 or 13 years. And when you're in a high school and you're a music teacher, you're constantly advocating on behalf of your kids to open up their schedules um, because Mm -hmm. they're, they're, and I was in New Jersey, so slightly different system, but suffers from the same pain points of there's this many requirements of this thing. And, and right. look, a lot of the counselors were heavily focused on just getting the kids what they needed to uh, apply for college and all that kind of stuff. But what we had to do as a music staff, very proactively with, especially with some of our most talented students who are often in music also end up being like, I don't like this term, but your smartest students who are all in APs and they're being told they need to take seven APs over here and then all of that. So we were constantly in this battle of like, Yes, but you need to come serve your human. You need to come serve the artist inside of you. It's just as important. So there's an advocacy piece to it, Pat, I think, where we have to make people aware and remind people uh, of the importance of the arts and and that the arts are just as important and, and are not separate of the sciences. That even when you're singing, your brain is cranking on something that it was de- it was grappling with in calculus. It's doing it. You're not conscious of it, but it's doing it, right? Same way sleep does this. How often do we sleep on big decisions because we just need our brain to do its thing so that we wake up and feel better about it, right? Arts do that same thing. So I think other creative disciplines do that as well. So shop, highly creative discipline. Uh, Some of the kids that we had a welding shop in my last high school that I worked at and some of the stuff that came out of there was just unbelievable. And, and, And some of the kids that were in there were the ones that were not academics, and mm-hmm. to put them in a bucket and say, you're not academic, this is not, that's not our role. Our role is to develop positive contributing citizens and humans to the culture, to society, right? Um, well, so labels, oh, yeah. labels, labels, right. labels, and, like, uh, 
it's it's tough, right? So knowing that, and that's part of the problem, what you're referencing, some of the leaderships are just bound by labels. Their need, their, the rules say you have to label, the rules say you have to identify, the rules say. So I think where I landed eventually as a teacher was that do whatever you have to do, but we can go beyond that. Just because mm-hmm. we, just because you made me put this, or we, we had to, we had to write this down for this compliance piece, fine, but I'm not done with this kid. We're not done. Um, providing opportunity we're not done providing and and listening to what they want to be and 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 that and then supporting that because ultimately the compliance piece i i I personally one human can't change the rules for you there we as a group can over time we could right Mm -hmm. um but what i can do is is help advise help advocate help help guide Mm -hmm. uh the person on the other end through a learning path that they're interested in we have a bunch of athletes one of them was was with you this year that just absolutely um, loved their the, the flexibility that virtual learning provided them because right. they're on the road all the time. I mean, it's a busy, it's a busy, very gifted, you know, talented athlete. Different schedule, so why mm-hmm. why should that be? A, why should this person's talent be a barrier for, toward their to academic what they need. success? Right, they need right. I mean, it's so you know. Again, I, I think the more when you talk about the future of it. The more times, and I've and I said this before, but the more times I've been able to demonstrate and we've been able to demonstrate as a team, this can work. And here's how it's going to work for you. And then on, on our end, hold up the end of that, that, that proves it can be successful for the student and the learner. We meet less resistance the next time it comes around. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is a great place to kind of start winding down. And, uh, you know, Brandon, you talked a little bit about what you're reading can you can you tell us what's influencing you out there right now and share with folks you know what's helping you to get refreshed and creative and put those things out there yeah i'd say well it's it's interesting because one of the cool parts of working in an iu and doing so many different things is you have different hot seasons that kind of come and go and you have to kind of dive into this work for a little while and, and really get cranking on it we just finished kind of summer school enrollment so that's been a busy last month for us but that'll cool off here as we get into July and kids programs are running this summer. I, I, I mentioned, you know, hops reading, um, I think it's out of our minds again. It's one of Sir Crane Robinson's books and really it talks about creativity and a need for it and a- across all aspects, personally, educationally, all of that. So I'm enjoying that. Pat, I spent a bunch of time this year and I've never done this before watching gifted leaders of history speak where there was like mm. videos. So I've been watching, I mean, at this point, it's gotta be hundreds of, of long form presentations and lectures of various CEOs, mostly in the tech space. Cause that's where I live. Um, and it kind of just started last summer as like a couple Steve jobs videos. Cause one popped up and it was like, all right, I'll watch that. And it looked older. It was from like the late eighties. Um, and I was just kind of curious, what was he saying back in the late eighties when mm-hmm. Apple threw him out the door? Um, and then it just was turned into this rabbit hole of listening to creative thinkers and leaders speak about their products and speak about their visions. Um, and I, I will say there's not one in particular that stands out, but it's been fascinating to see how many, how far th- tech has come and how we're still kind of wrestling with some of the same, same old things. Um, People have been speaking about the power of technology and education for almost 50 years at this point, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of what it was going to bring. And I think we're starting to see some of it come to fruition. 
and others of it were just still missing the boat. But that's still, to people like me, that's exciting. It means there's still opportunity to right. craft uh, vision and direction heading forward. Yeah, cool. How about you, Lauren? What's on oh your, goodness. what's on your? I feel like every summer, this is personal, but every summer I pick up that parenting guide for me. It's how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. And <laughs> I'm always thumbing through it because I'm, I'm gearing up for that summer, you know, more time, you know, the kids are around um, without the structure of school, trying to provide more structure. Um, yeah, so I'm always finding myself, it's, I think it's Eileen Farber. Yep, that's a great um, book. I love that great book. book. Yeah. I tried to give it to my daughter. She's got a six month old, a, a three year old and a five year old now. And she was just like, I don't have time for this, mom. I'm like, all right. It's It'll like, save it's her a true. lot of time. <laughs> well, you know, she, you yeah. know, sometimes as a, as a parent, um, you have to just tread lightly when, when you do that kind of stuff. But I don't know. For me, um, yeah, I don't think I read a lot. I, I listened to, um, and you guys may be too young, um, but there was a guy in the 90s who was doing... Um, parenting that really gave kids choices like so like you know you kind of maintain choice and I'll have to like look up what it was but that just reminded me it's like all right so you're you know you're you're going to get ready for the day you give them two choices of things that you want you know like right. <laughs> you know and then they're you know or you give them you know and if they don't want to do something you have to ask them how they're going to be accountable for it on the other end you know like if their room isn't picked up then you're you're not going to you know do choice a or b you know like so and then it was just like, so sorry, like mm -hmm. you didn't get that done. Well, you know, we're going to have to go back and start over again. You know, my yeah. daughter one time was just like, so sorry, so sorry. You know, like <laughs> she was like seven and she was really upset with me. And she came back and she said, I find myself saying to my kids all the time, like when she sets up the structure for what she wants them to do. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, mom, I'm you. You know, I remember, so I remember being in college, Pat, and asking my mom, and I wasn't obviously having kids quite yet, but my mom did have me in high school. So my mom had me when she was a teenager. And that has always been a funny thing for us because I'm an only child. Both my parents were teenagers. So there's just a lot of funny stories of that when people have a hard time conceptualizing what my house must have been like, because my dad is also a musician, toured, and, and just such a cool guy. And my mom is, is literally superwoman. Um, had me in high school and now she's a CFO of, of a college. So, um, you know, she's just a tremendous human being, but I asked her one time in the, in the realm of parenting, I was like, so like, what's parenting like? She goes, all you gotta do is teach them how to choose. She's like, every time I gave you two choices, I didn't let you off the hook or you didn't get what, you, you know, nothing happened. If, if you didn't right. choose, there was no outcome. And, um, I just always found that to be so interesting because there was a lot of autonomy given to me as a kid. And I, I think part of it was that they were so young and that they just, you know, quite frankly, didn't know enough or know any better. And that actually played out for the better. It was like, well, you're the one, you, Brandon, are the one coming to me with a problem. So you, Brandon, need to solve this because I, it's not my job to solve this. Here's your options. And I don't know, as you're speaking there, it's speaking to a lot of, I know how my mom approached it. Do you want PBJ or do you want turkey? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, when you decide you can, yep, you can have one exactly. of those. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, cause ultimately, you know, obviously this is parenting. That's the next conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I just want to tell you guys what I do to read. I read, I read stuff like Mark Nepo, 
Carrie Newcomer poets. That's like mm-hmm. right now. I mean, obviously I'm reading some fiction and stuff like that, but I try to get grounded. I think relationships are the most important thing we do. And mm-hmm. if I'm not my best self, I'm, I can't be my best self leader. I can't be creative. If I don't go look at the ocean soon, you know, life is not going to be good. So yeah, you can't, I, I have my background board, but I have like my guitars. I mean, like I love in the summer when I can work from home a couple more days and like in downtime, just pick up a guitar pat for 15 minutes and just play. Mm-hmm. Like it just grounds me and who I am and, and really frees my, my head up. So I, I totally hear you on the, yeah. on just it's where you find your, your center and your home. It's so important. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get going so fast, we forget that creativity comes when we let our soul speak, right? Wherever that happens. So, well, thank you both for joining us today um, on We Do This Every Day. And I'll look forward uh, to talking to you both again soon. Um, Maybe we'll talk about parenting in the virtual world. Who knows? That could be fun. That could be fun. Mine are upstairs right now. So I I could always use some help. All right. Sounds like a plan. Well, listen, I hope you both have a great day and thanks for joining me on We Do This Every Day. Thanks, Thanks, Pat. Pat.